Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative and PR, to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. I'm Peter Jacobs with Merit Group, and on this episode, we're looking at identifying the right targets for government account-based marketing. Much of an ABM program's success is dependent on knowing who the decision makers, contributors, and influencers are. But how can marketing and capture teams identify and categorize these targets? And once you've found them, how do you apply that knowledge to a campaign cycle that can last up to two years? Well, to get some insights, I'm talking with someone who's been answering these questions for more than 35 years. Mark Amtower of Amtower & Company is well-known and highly respected for his knowledge of B2G marketing. He's an advisor, educator, coach, and author, and we are thrilled to have him with us. Mark, thanks for being here. Peter, it's a pleasure to be with you, man. It's been a while. It absolutely has. Uh, We met at a government industry event several years ago, and that was still quite a memorable experience for me. Yeah, uh, it was a a GovExec leading brands study in Tyson's, and uh, you and I ended up sitting together chatting after the event. We connected. uh, We found out that, you know, the passion for marketing ran deep, and you ended up being on my show with our buddy Christina Morrison, now with Apple, and uh, we, we, the three of us, ended up doing an ABM uh, session at Government Marketing University that year or the next year. It's it's pretty intense early relationship, dude. It was fun. (laughs) It sure was, and and it still is. And it's interesting to me that we're still talking about this same topic, but it's because ABM really is the essence of government marketing, isn't it? It it really is. I mean, you know, somebody must have written a book about five years ago for B2B people that didn't know it would, you know it existed. Uh, but in GovCon, we've we've been, you know, you have to do it this way because you have account-based contracts, you have account-based executives, and they all need support. But especially if you have a contract that focuses on uh, you know, transportation. Uh, VA, whatever uh, agency it might be, if it's a single agency vehicle, you've got to develop a program to exploit that thing. Absolutely. And it's really about relationships and getting to know that agency's needs inside and out, isn't it? Yep. Yep. You got to know not only the players, you have to know the uh, the mission. You have to memorize the mission. It's got to be part of your your mantra. You have to know the budget cycle that they're under. You have to know the OMB 53s and 300s inside out. You need to know their preferred contract vehicles. If they go after a business or award business through one of the best in class GWACs or IDIQs, you got to know a lot of things. Yeah, and it starts with knowing who you want to talk with and what's motivating them. Of course, government contractors have their own first-party data that the BD team has captured over time, but that needs to be fleshed out with third-party data. So when it comes to ABM targeting, what roles do, let's say, channels like LinkedIn and social media play? Um, Well, you know, my census uh, that I finished back in February this year, I do a census of feds on LinkedIn every year. 
there's a little better than 2 million beds, 2,028,000 and change. So not an inconsiderable amount, but I identified 305 distinct federal departments, agencies, and office listed as companies on LinkedIn. So I can get very granular when I'm looking at that information. And once you're on a company page for a federal agency, you click on that all employees button, and then you click on the filters and you can start searching by job title, by location, by, by a whole bunch of different stuff. So finding the right people would be a matter of, of you know, exploring that, uh, the job title area and plugging in things like program manager, or if it's for a specific technology, you know, cloud, you plug in cloud at, uh, at uh, you know, any agency, you're going to get results. So you'll find out who the people are who are responsible for very specific areas. And they may be at different parts of the food chain, but the more of them that you know and who know you, the more likely it is you're going to get better information. Well, it sounds like your sense is that there's a lot of information right there that is available to federally focused marketers. Are the marketers taking advantage of all this information that's right there to be seen? I don't think enough of them really are. Um, you know, they'll they'll play with posting content or running ads on LinkedIn or doing what they think is uh, profile modification. But I look at literally hundreds of profiles every week, and and the vast majority of people in GovCon, I would rate probably at about a D level for their their profiles. Very few of them have exemplary profiles. Obviously, the ones that I teach do, uh, or most of them do, not all of them. Uh, but, but, you know, you're, you're starting with that profile, you, you really have to explain who you are, what you do, where you fit. Uh, if you're targeting specific agencies, you can do it right there. Uh, there's, uh, um, you know, I did a lot of work with Brocade several years ago. And uh, one guy, Nick Strader, used to have his two client agencies in his headline. And not just sales guy for NASA DOE, but supplying data analytics, something or other, to NASA and DOE. So he said what he did and who he did it for in his headline, right under his picture. That's making perfect use of a social platform. Yeah, and and if you look at it, most people have the default job title. And, you know, if, if a Fed sees one more sales rep from X, they're, they're gonna uh, <laughs> shoot their screen or something. <laughs> Do you feel that LinkedIn is the the best platform for this sort of usage, as opposed to the other social platforms that are out there? The presence of feds on LinkedIn started back in late 2010, when GSA was finally able to negotiate with what were then the major social networking platforms, how they would use federal employee data. Okay, that was the sticking point, because... The social networks use the data for all kinds of targeting and 
whoever, you know, sold data, whatever, to, you know, to make money. Uh, once GSA got that agreement in place uh, with LinkedIn, Facebook, back then MySpace, uh, and whoever else was around, the the feds were, they weren't encouraged to, but they were allowed to participate as representatives of their agency. They could be on the platforms before, but they weren't supposed to talk about what they did and who they did it for. I've been on LinkedIn for 17 years. I joined in early 2004, but I didn't start using it until 07. I didn't start coaching people until 09. But ever since then, I have viewed it as a cornerstone of marketing because there are just so many things that you can do here and you can do them for free. Curious about if COVID times have made a difference in how people are using the platform. I, I'd say uh, there, there's obviously an increased usage of all social platforms since COVID because when you're you're parked at home, so much TV is going to you know bore even the Kardashians. But social networking for business has probably gained about 50 to 60 percent usage over the previous year. And it's because people are working from home and it is a primary method for vetting anyone in our market. Tell me another venue where you can check out virtually anybody in GovCon. You know, you're going to look them up at Federal Computer Week or government executive. Well, you might be able to for about a half percent of the population in the market. Uh, but most of us aren't there, right? I know I'm not. Yeah. So uh, I wrote an article for government executive back in the 90s. Maybe that's still there. <laughs> well, once you've obtained and cleaned up your prospect data, how can you then determine where do you start to build these relationships? Well, you have to know, number one, where, where you fit. Are you involved in current ongoing programs with the agency? Are you looking at starting new programs with the agency or perhaps both, right? If you're starting a new program or you anticipate being part of a new program for the agency, there's a number of players that you have to be involved with. The programming manager and the program office, you have to know the contracting officer. And, you know, there's not one contracting officer per agency. So you've got to do some digging and see who the program office has used for previous contracts in the contracting office, because most likely they'll go back to them. So you got the PM, you've got the KO, you've got the uh, the contractor's uh, rep or contracting officer's rep uh, or technical rep, depending on, on you know your your verbiage. You need to know some people at the finance office because. All of these people are going to need different types of information about what your company does, product or service, where it fits, cost effectiveness, you know, all of the compliance issues, all of those things. You have to help them queue up because when a program office goes to the contracting office, they have to have this big bundle of stuff done and ready to hand over so the contracting office can verify this data and start forming what will turn out to be, you know, probably an RFP, right? 
So there's a lot of different people and you can, you can find them in LinkedIn. I love when that happens. So the question then is, can you have too much information? Uh, put it another way, how do you narrow it down to be most effective? I don't know that too much information is, is possible. There's going to be peripheral information, you know, tangential information, and then, then the crux of the matter type of stuff. But I operate from the premise that the more you know, the more likely it is you'll see all of the nuances that may come into play. Will this program move ahead if there's a budget crisis? Okay, so you're anticipating the CR to end sometime. Well, sometimes it doesn't. If, if the CR doesn't end, will your program be funded? No, of course not. It's a new program. It doesn't mean it's not going to sometime down the line, but it may be, you know, backburnered further depending on a new CR. So there's there's so many variables here, but understanding why the program office is starting this ball rolling, providing them uh, directly, indirectly, directly, you know, meeting with them, giving them stuff, or indirectly, social, the trade pub route, you know, email, providing them all of the information they need about your solutions without making it sales material. So you and I have discussed content a lot of times. Real content should not have that sales message. You're educating the buyer or the buying team on each stage of the process. That's where I want to go next, Mark. Realizing your campaign will last 18 to 24 months, how do you use this data effectively to plan each of those stages? Well, I mean, you know, I, I use a lot of stuff from an occasional merit partner, Market Connections. So they have their federal media and marketing study uh, and their, their federal content marketing review. And I think it was the first or second content marketing review where they came up with this chart where across the top there were the stages of the procurement process, identification for a need, uh, allocation of budget, determination of requirements and specs, uh, drafting the RFP, identifying potential bidders, uh, evaluation of the bids, and then the, the award. Uh, so those stages were across the top. Down the side were the types of content that were important in each one of those stages. So you had webinars, case studies, e-newsletters, e-books, marketing collateral, which is your sales material. That was the fourth or fifth item down the line. And then there were others, infographics, podcasts, blogs. And the slide that, that I refer to usually is sold. It doesn't have video on it. But we all know that, that video is huge now in, in GovCon. And most of the major contractors and OEMs have tons of video out there. So making sure your content is aligned with the identification of a need for a product or service. If you know generally what the problem is, if your BD people or salespeople have been savvy enough to ferret out that information, you can skew, well, number one, you'll know whether your, your product or service is a fit. But if it is, you can skew any content you have or develop new content to address that specific problem 
associated with a specific mission in a specific department. And at the same time, you need to tailor that content to the specific person or role that you want to understand what it is you're trying to say. You're not going to talk the same way to a technical person as you will to a program manager or the person who's signing the check. Right. So, yeah, when you get to the allocation of the funds, so somebody's verifying that the program fits the parameters of the mission and the allocated budget, you want to be talking finance, not, uh, you know, my widget does this. Along the way, you're going to be picking up new bits of information and you're going to be fleshing out that profile of all those different personas and all those different people that you've actually talked to. So how do you incorporate that? into what you're doing next in your campaign, since everything you do needs to lead to a next step? Well, everything should be, you know, you you mentioned personas there, so that's very important. Each of these stages has at least one, probably multiple personas that need to be uh, addressed. So the program manager at the beginning will have, you know, if it's an IT-related issue, he'll have a technical staff that's filling him in on whatever he or she needs to know about how this stuff works. So you've got to address each persona differently. The program manager is more of a big picture, mission-oriented person. The technical staff will want different types of information. As you go down the line, each persona, so the budget dollars, uh, the determination of requirements, drafting the RFP, You know, the contracting officer, contracting officer's rep all have different personas here, and you have to address their needs accordingly. Did that answer the question? Yes, it absolutely did. And I I appreciate that. The complexity of the ABM approach means that you are literally creating and recreating and expanding relationships at every step. And that sometimes gets lost when you've got a marketing organization working with a business development capture organization. Somewhere in between, there's a chasm. And marketing can help make sure that the sales organization can actually have the information they need to build those relationships. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's an interrelated community on our side, too. If BD sales and marketing aren't working together Uh, smoothly, then things are going to fall in those cracks and drop into that chasm. So this this is and always has been a relationship-driven market. And, you know, for years, my mantra, especially for small businesses, has been sell where you're known. Focus on one or two agencies. The more you know about the processes in that agency, the more people you know in those agencies the more you understand the preferences for buying, which contractual vehicles are they likely to use, the more likely it is you can develop more business with that agency. It's easier to sell where you're known and hopefully liked than to branch out into, quote, the government. So making sure you institutionalize the knowledge not only about the personnel, but about their pain points their budgeting process. How do they prioritize which programs get funded? All of these things come into play. But, you know, and and for me still, the linchpin is LinkedIn because you can connect with the key people there 
most feds are open to connecting. That's my experience. Hell, in the last week, I've had two invitation requests come in to me, one from the office of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a staffer there, and the other from somebody in the U.S. Digital Service. So I get requests to connect from feds on a fairly regular basis, and I'm just the marketing guy. It's unexpected. But I can also understand that they're as interested in relationships as we are as marketers because they need information in order to do their jobs. Right. And the re- I asked one of them, why, you know, hey, you know, I'll, I'll take any connection I can get in your particular office. But why? why? Says, well, you write some interesting stuff about the market. Content is what attracts people here. And it's got to be content that's relevant, not just trying to sell, but trying to educate. Yeah, if you're putting out kumbaya stuff or patting yourself on the back for winning a Gartner spot, um, go away. Something that occurred to me is that over on the commercial side of things, on the GovCon side of things, you'll get people moving around. So you'll get marketers, you'll get salespeople moving from GovCon to GovCon. Does the same thing happen on the government side? Actually, it does. Really? Yeah, especially after an election year. I haven't monitored this for several years, but usually senior Fed, SES people, for instance, have to technically migrate every couple of years. You're in the senior executive service for one of two reasons. You either have an extraordinary technical capability or an extraordinary management capability. And the government wants these capabilities to migrate from agency to agency on a regular basis. So of that that 8,000 member core of SESers, the migration is is pretty decent. After an election year, I also used to see, and I don't, again, I haven't monitored it recently, but I used to see a fair amount of migration among the uh, other senior levels, GS-14s and 15s in particular, because if, if your agency is not going to have as much funding under a new administration as it did under a previous administration, you may want to go somewhere where there's more activity. Mark, I want to throw this open to you now. Is there any last bit of advice you'd like to offer marketers at GovCons? As, as I told you uh, before we started recording, I was uh, retained to write a four-session, 90 minutes per session uh, program for a significant contractor on GovCon 101. And as I'm writing this thing, I'm reminding myself of stuff that I haven't thought of for years. I'm picking up some new stuff along the way. So it's a continuous learning process. But on the ABM side, especially, Learning as much as you can about the agency. Use your your Bloomberg government account or your GovOne account or whatever you do. Or if you just go into FPDS or BetaSAM, go to that agency and see what their buying history is. Who are the winners? What kinds of contracts do they have? Who are the contracting officers most likely to be in that food chain? Match that with information that you can glean off of LinkedIn and start fleshing out your your connections there. If you reach out to somebody at a, a federal agency and they look at your profile before saying yes or no, but they see that you share with them 20, 30, 50, 100 connections, there's going to be a comfort level 
knowing that you share these connections. If you share no connections, your comfort level is just dropped to about zero. Okay, so you, you've got to be perceived as being known in the market, having value in the market. And, and you know, the best way you can do that is, is to participate on LinkedIn and add value and avoid the kumbaya stuff. Well, it's all about building trust. And in a relationship kind of business, that's the most important thing you can do. Yes, sir. I've been talking with Mark Amtower of Amtower & Company. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Peter, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. I had a good time. And thank you for joining us. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group and the show, check out layofthebrand.com. <laughs>